We're, a, we're week three into our study of Psalms for the fall. If you're new and um, you haven't got a guide, I think we have some out there. I encourage you to, to get it. Um, many of you have smartphones or you're familiar with apps. And uh, the Psalms are like apps. Uh, there are these, um, you know, each one has a, a use. And uh, so our, our thought was for the fall, we want to kind of introduce you to these different, quote, apps. Because at some point in your life, you're going to need to. Uh, you're going to need like some practical help, and so today's app is. Um, I don't know why you are laughing. It's not that funny, um, but today's app is when you're brokenhearted. Let me kind of a heavy one. So welcome to church. <laughs> be kind of just chipper today. Uh, when you're brokenhearted, um, about two months ago, actually for a year, I've been planning for this series, and in the summer. We went through, okay, out of 150 psalms, which 11 do we want to teach on? We kind of came up with a list and shortened it, shortened it. And somewhere at the beginning of August, we kind of put out the dates, and it's not that super spiritual. We just kind of figure out which ones seem. And so today, for two months, has been when you're brokenhearted or when your soul is crushed. And uh, what it, things I love about the psalms is it's the only book of the Bible that contains the full range of human emotion. Uh, you know, all the emotions are everywhere else, but in Psalms, you've got them all. And if, you, if that is interesting to you, um, at, if, at the back of the Psalms guy, I don't have one with me, but at the very back, there's a list of, I think it's like 50 or 60 emotions that the Psalms deals with. It's what I, one of the things I love about Psalms. It's just an honest book um, for where we are. I thought that most of the Psalms we teach on will be not readily applicable, that there's like you can learn it, file it away, and then in days, months, years, in the future, you'll have a need for it. But it seems that the Lord has given us an opportunity to immediately apply the psalm we're going to look at today. Um, I want to just speak briefly to what's kind of going on in our culture and what's kind of been dominating most of people's conversations with um, like the sexual harassment allegations and the Supreme Court stuff. Um, my calling as a pastor is, and this helps me to stay centered, is to bring the people of God into the presence of God and to bring the presence of God into the people of God. And I'm, I'm like a matchmaker for God and his people. That's just what I just like. Let's get together and, have, and worship. And so um, there's so much nonsense in our culture, and we're so inundated with like constant bad news like my default on Sunday is to just, for these two hours, to just have sacred space where we don't really, we get a break from all the bad news, okay? So that's kind of my default. And so often things will happen in our culture, and we won't talk about it, not because we're afraid to or because we're, you know, uh, ignoring it. It's just, I, I want this space to be kind of sacred in, in at least one place where you can come and get away from all that stuff and find peace with God, Okay. And then there's times where things happen that are so severe and so significant that it would actually be um, unhelpful to not talk about it. And so um, I've been searching for a metaphor, because that's the only way I understand things is by metaphor, for what's going on in our culture right now. Um, and yesterday I was uh, cutting my grass, and the Lord gave me one, and it was the metaphor of an earthquake. An earthquake is when you have these two opposing forces underneath that are constantly moving towards one another, and finally they hit and they collide and they won't budge, and then there's just, you know, an earthquake. There's tremors and things come up and 
parts of the ground open up and people are hurt and there's rubble and, and houses or, or infrastructure that you once depended on are suddenly broken and not usable and in shambles and, and, and earthquakes are, you never know when they're cut, you know, they're just, they just happen and, and they can be quite scary. And it seems that when you look at the dumpster fire that's on social media, I'm sure, I haven't looked, but I just bet it's crazy or on the news or in the newspaper, when you see what's going on with our politics and with men and women's relationships and with um, this like huge culture of sexual um, abuse and this, the sexualization of our society, we're seeing the fruit of what that looks like when we see one another as just um, objects of pleasure. And, and this is like the fruit of kind of the seeds sown in the 60s and it, when, you, when you see all that, it's just, it's just an earthquake, okay? So what happens is depending on your worldview or your political view or whatever, when you feel that disequilibrium of the earthquake, you, you need to like hold on to something to like stabilize yourself so that you don't fall into the pit, okay? And so there's various, I'm not going to go through the example, but you could just think of there's tons of examples of how people go and try to find stabilization, okay? So that's number one. We're in a cultural earthquake. How do you stay safe and f- orient yourself to what's going on? Okay, now hold that thought. I want to step aside just for a second and add something to that that we all need to hear and remember in times like these. Your soul was not created to withstand the rate and the depth of the trauma that you see every day. With the invention of technology that I love, and with the invention of the internet that I love, we, our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our emotions now have access almost immediately to awful, hellish realities second by second by second by second. And your soul was never designed to be able to handle the weight of that trauma. Your soul was designed for blessing. God designed your soul for blessed communion with him. Love, the Hebrew word shalom, peace. Unbroken fellowship in paradise. That's what your soul was created for. It's what your soul longs for. And when you encounter the opposite of that, when you encounter judgment or condemnation or hatred or shame or guilt or, or whatever, okay, there's a reason why people get worked up and get angry and get frustrated and, get, and feel all these visceral emotions. I would say it's because you were not designed to be able to handle the weight of the sins of our world. And the challenge we have as modern Americans is we have unfiltered access to that stuff, second by second by second by second. So if you're a child of God, you've got an issue. You've got to figure out how do you live and navigate and find stability and be a source of help in cultural earthquakes? There'll be one next week probably, and in two weeks, I'm sure there's going to be a shooting at some point, or a tsunami, or a hurricane, or there's going to be uh, another 
um, sexual harassment things that comes up. Like, like, it's not going away, right? It's just, they keep coming, okay? So what do you do as a child of God when you're in the earthquake? And what do you do to, with your soul when it's just bad news after 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 bad news? Like, that's the tension we live in, okay? So I think Psalms 42 is a very helpful tool or an app for your life. So we're going to look at it. If you want to turn there, uh, Psalms 42, it's page 469. It's a very, very, very popular one. Anyone know the song? As the deer pant. Okay. Just two of us grew up with that. That's this psalm. For you nerds, uh, Psalms 42 and 43 are actually one psalm in somewhere, I think around 300 BC, they got split into two. But we're going to cover 42 and 43. You'll see that they connect and they're actually one. I'm going to read straight through both of them. It's like 16, 17 verses. You will double back and look at some important things to pull out. 41, or 42, I'm sorry, Psalms 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts of, in songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And maybe you feel like that this morning. Maybe you felt like that this week, that your soul is just cast down, your heart is broken, and there is this turmoil within you. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls and your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? I love this prayer. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, 
and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my God and my salvation. It's the word of the Lord. If Psalms 42 and 43 give us anything, it gives us permission. Permission to not only turn to God in hard times, but permission to wrestle. You may have noticed the emotional roller coaster back and forth, this, your steadfast love, why have you forgotten me? And some people think, oh, is he bipolar? Is he schizophrenic? Perhaps, if so, that's okay. I think he's just being honest. He's being honest about what he's feeling, about what he's seeing, about what he's experiencing. He's not closing his eyes and like plugging his ears and just pretending that everything's perfect. We have a, uh, an unofficial saying around here, and um, it, mostly because it helped me in a bad time, and it was, it's okay to not be okay. Just don't lie about it or stay there. And that's Psalms 42, 43. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have your soul in turmoil. It's okay to be brokenhearted. It's okay to feel like God's forgotten you. He hasn't. We know he hasn't, but it's okay to feel that. This gives us permission. Here's a, a picture of what a lot of people look, uh, they think walking with God looks like this. It's just up and to the right. You know? Here's what walking with God actually looks like. It's just, just this messy. Just all over the place. Sometimes you're going, you're on the down. It's this... Welcome to life. This is what the Psalms teach us. The author of the Psalm is the sons of Korah. This isn't David's Psalm. If you know any of the Old Testament history, Korah was a Levite or he was a priest and his family would have been priests. The Levite tribe was the tribe of pastors and priests. And Korah's sons were the worship leaders in the temple. Basically, they were spiritual tour guides who were artists. And we have some really good spiritual tour guides who are artists that lead us every week. But that was their job, was to, with creativity and with music and with some choreography, to lead God's people into his presence. That was the calling of the sons of Korah. What we find is that he's uh, not in the holy city during the pilgrimage. He references that, I think it's verse 4. He's actually in the wilderness. He's on the mountain He's in exile. So you, you have this image of, of a Jewish person, a Hebrew, who's kind of away from his people at the festival time. Uh, one, this is not a great analogy, but this is the, the, like, the best I could think of is um, culturally what this would be like would be if you grew up in San Antonio and you were like the Fiesta Queen and you had hundreds of medals and you, you, know, you had that, and work had you in Phoenix during Fiesta, in like the desert, but then you look on social media and all your friends are at Battle of Flowers, and you, like, you're, you're like the queen of Fiesta, and you should be at the Battle of Flowers, but you're in Arizona. That's kind of how the sons of Korah feel. Everyone's um, in Jerusalem, it's pilgrimage time, it's festival time, there's lots of great music, and it's festive, and he's in the mountains. Now, let's look at the first three v- verses here. 
um, because what we, what we see is he's using creation. He sees something in creation. He's in creation. There is a drought, it's believed, and he sees a deer who's dying of thirst, panting for flowing streams, and he sees this, this, um, this deer just looking for help and finding it nowhere. And he says, that's how my soul feels. Just like that deer is about to die of thirst and just dry and dead and it's almost over and there's no hope. God, my soul feels like that. It's fiesta and all my friends are at the parade and I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Phoenix in the heat. This is, this is what, okay? And he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Uh, my tears have been my food. And then he's got some enemies who are mocking him, okay? So right here what you see is there's three things that are necessary to life. Air, he's panting. Thirst, water, and food. These are like, the th- you, you, got, you need these three to live. You need air, you need water, and you need food. And he's saying, man, like, this is how down to the bones I'm about to die. I, my, I'm so hungry, I've just been feasting on my tears, okay? Some of you have felt like that this week. Uh, Warren Worsby has got a great quote on this. He says, his hopes have been shattered. His prayers were unanswered. His enemies were vocal. And his feelings were more than he could handle. But God was still on the throne. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like your hopes are gone? God's not answering your prayers. Your enemies are vocal. And the feelings are more than you can handle. That's what the son of Korah feels. Now, what's awesome is verse four. He begins to remember some things. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs and praise. And one of the, the things that we'll see recurring, and it's really subtle, is how often he depends on music and worship. So he's saying, I need air, my soul thirsts for you. I need water. Uh, I need food. That's not my tears. I need those things. But what we'll find is there's this fourth necessity for life that he's depending on, and it's singing to God. It's pouring out his heart to God. And that's a lesson that our church is learning right now, and many of you are just, you're learning that this is, like you, this is how you fight your battles. This is how you walk with the Lord, is you open your mouth and you give him the glory that he's due. And there's, there's this mystery, is when you lift your eyes off of your problems and onto God and his sovereignty, it's amazing how things begin to orient themselves and peace comes. Now, verse five is great. And this is a refrain that, that happens three times, twice in 42, at the very end of 43, which is why they're connected. And it's the theme. This is the theme of, of, of the psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. There's the, see, praise. That's what he's looking for. Now, here's a, here's a little a practical thing that I think we can learn from, is we have to learn how to lead our soul. In the times we live in more than ever before, you cannot outsource the leadership of your soul to other people. You can't crowdsource it. You can't delegate it. You are the one in charge of leading your soul and talking to yourself. And we learn this from the psalm. Why are you cast? He's talking to himself. 
you need permission to talk to yourself, you got it right here. I talk to myself all the time. Why are you downcast on my soul? And then he tells us so. Hey, get up. Hope in God. Praise him, okay? Now, this begs a question on, on what's a soul. And, and the soul's job is to integrate your entire being. So we've got a little slide here of, of this is who you are as a person. Um, in the center of who you are is the will. Uh, sometimes it's also called the heart, okay? The will or the heart. It's your, your, in, your most primal desire. Outside of that, you have your mind. The Jews believed that the heart was the fountain that bubbled up into the mind, which is why the psalm said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. How can a heart meditate? It's because um, the, the heart bubbles up into the mind. Then you have the body. And then on the outside of your body, you have your soul. Okay? And the, soul's, the soul is kind of like the buffer. Or, you know, we've, we've, got a, uh, we've got a phone. And on the phone, we have a buffer, right? So the, the case on my phone is, is kind of my soul, is the soul of my phone. Okay. Now, here's the job of your soul. You've you got to know this. Your soul's job is to align your body, mind, and your heart. Okay? And when your soul is leading all three of those in the same direction, we say you have integrity because your body and your mind and your heart are integrated. They're aligned. When your body, heart, and mind are not integrated, or if they're disintegrated, then we say you don't have integrity. Great example of that is if you ask a friend, hey, can you help me move on Saturday? I really, really need you. And they say yes, and their body, their lips say yes, but their mind and their will is like, it's hot, I don't want to move. And they don't show up on Saturday to help you move, even though their body said they would, but their will does not want to. You see how you don't have integrity. Their entire person is not lined up in the same direction. They're disintegrated, okay? So the soul's job is simply to orient all that, and then when you meet your friend the next weekend, and you see them, or like that afternoon at the friendly spot, and you're like, hey, you were supposed to help me move, there is an awkward soul encounter, because your soul is bumping up on their soul, that's wicked, <laughs> you know, okay? So um, have you ever had um, like a dinner with somebody and you, you entered the dinner like just discouraged and um, tired and weary, but you left the dinner just like on cloud nine or, in cur- or just like, man, that was great. Chances are, um, you know, your bodies probably didn't touch, but what was happening was y'all's souls was touching. And their soul blessed your soul and your soul blessed. So the soul is where we do blessing. The soul is where we do cursing. The soul is where we, where we, where we integrate with one another, okay? So this is just helpful. If you don't know that about your person, what happens is you walk around and, and if, you're, if you're not integrated, you just start like, you give people dirty looks and your soul curses with a dirty look or, you know, whatever, okay? So your soul's important. You gotta know how to, how to um, lead your soul and care for your soul. This is what the psalmist is teaching us. If, you, if that's like, oh, I don't need to learn more about that, there's a rabbit hole called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. Uh, you can get that book. The best book I've ever read on the soul. Highly recommend it.
Okay. Verses 8, let's jump, keep going. It says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. That sounds great. Then verse 9, which, well, the other side of it. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? We just said his commands are steadfast love, and, and his song is with you, and he's the God of your life. And the next verse, he's like, but you've forgotten me. At verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me while they say to me all, all the day long, where is your God? And again, why are you cast down on my soul? This psalm is so honest and personal. There's over 50 personal pronouns in this psalm. It's a roller coaster emotionally. And it should be an encouragement to you to feel. It's okay to feel like God's forgotten you. He hasn't but it's okay to feel it. Have you ever yelled at God? Thanks, Chris. (laughs) You yell at God. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, we have to learn how to cuss at God without cussing. Now, if that's offensive to you, he translated the Message Bible. You can take it up with him. What he's saying there is we have to learn to express what we're feeling, even if it's not true. We need to learn how to express it to God, else we're not going to get it out of us, okay? And so he, he's talking to Bono from U2, and he says, he says you've got to learn how to cuss without cussing. You've got to learn how to swear at God without swearing. Some of, probably for some of you, maybe the most healthy thing you could do spiritually, turn off your phone, go into creation, with no one else around, and just yell and scream and cry and be honest with God. If you feel like your soul is just downcast and you're brokenhearted, I encourage you, figure out how to express that to God and be honest. Whenever I was in ministry school, I think I was like 19, we um, had this guy join our school. Who, his name was Isaac, and he was from um, a gang. He'd grown up in a gang. And he got jumped out of the gang the night before. Um, he, in fact, he joined the school a day early um, because he didn't have anywhere else to go. So we said, hey, come stay with us. So he shows up with his red rag on his head. And I mean, like, this, like he had some face tattoos and from like a white boy from the suburbs. I'd never like seen that. And, uh, and so every night, there was like 12 of us guys who lived in one house. It was awful. It smelled like you think. But every night, we would pray. We'd get in a circle, and we'd pray, and we'd hold hands. It's awkward. Um, and so Isaac comes in. And so we just go, and we just, everyone goes around, and we just kind of pray. And it's all pretty, you know, suburban and, and cute. Isaac doesn't know any better. And he's praying, and he just, I mean, he's so brokenhearted. And he just starts pouring out his heart to God. And he's like, I can't even say what he's saying. He's like cussing, dropping the F-bomb saying, Lord, forgive me for all of my fill in the blank. And he's just like, you know, just cussing at God. And my first thought was, he's trying to be funny. And I open my, he's like right here. I open my eyes, I'm holding his hand. And he's just bawling tears. I mean, tears falling out of his face. There's like a puddle on the carpet. And he's like a former gangbanger. And I was like, oh, he hasn't learned to be domesticated yet with his prayers. He's just being honest. And he's just telling God how he feels, even if it's a curse word. He was one of the most honest and real guys. I ran into him several years ago in Wichita Falls, walking with the Lord, 
married, has kids, has this deep, reverent fear for the Lord, probably doesn't cuss when he prays anymore. So many of the other guys that were in that group not only aren't in ministry, they're not even walking with the Lord anymore. Isaac learned how to cuss eventually without cussing. And I'll encourage you, take this psalm. Now, 43, as we round out, um, this is where it begins to get like, he's not just wrestling with God. He's not just cussing without cussing at God. He's not just yelling. He begins to ask God for help. He says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. He's surrounded by people who don't understand his calling or his love for God. They're mocking him. He's brokenhearted. But he's asking God for help. He's not looking to um, the schemes of man or institutions or even his own strength. He's saying, God, you're the only one who can help me. And this is my favorite prayer out of all, out of this psalm is verse three. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. What a great prayer for our times. To God, we need your light. We need your truth. We need your leading. Bring me to your presence, to your dwelling. Bring me to your altar. Bring me to joy. Bring me to a place of praise. Now, the psalmist gets this by seeing a deer about to die. And he ends with this longing for the help of God and to praise God. Now, here, here's the good, the good news in all this. The psalmist shows us he knows God's love. How do you know that you know God's love? When you sin, where do you turn? When you blow it and you make a mistake, if your instinct is to run away from God and hide, you don't know in your depths the good news of Jesus Christ yet. Because if you actually believed that his love is greater than any of that, there'd be no need to run. He'd actually be the first person to run to, okay? When you're brokenhearted, when you're struggling, when you're distressed or discouraged, when life hits you in the teeth, where do you run? That's a great indicator for where the allegiances of your heart actually are and where you actually believe. Now, let me step out here. I see so many of my friends running to politics right now and running to social movements right now. And perhaps God can use those. The donkey and the elephant are not going to help you. It's the Lamb of God who will help you. When you read Revelation, the Son of Man does not come back as a victorious donkey or elephant. He comes back as a victorious lamb. The Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world, for the trauma of the world. Jesus is the hope. Okay? Now, I know that's like charged, right? Because politics is like nuclear. I encourage you, I'm not saying forget politics. I'm just saying lift your eyes above that stuff to the, to the one who's better. We sang that song, Jesus is better. He's the one true king. He's the one who's sure and steady. He's the one you can count on. 
He's never failed. I encourage you, whenever you're brokenhearted, if it's this week or next week, we will have ample opportunities in our life to be brokenhearted. In your marriages, in your relationship, at work, in your community, in your church, with me, with whoever, you will have no shortage of supply for heartache and trauma and hurt and suffering, discouragement. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Turn to him. Learn to wrestle with him. Learn to wrestle with those feelings. Learn to give your soul to him. Learn to look to him for your help, not to yourself or the schemes of man or institutions. I know that may be challenging to some of you. It's the only thing I know that works. I hope you can hear it. Father, we love you. We thank you for just in your timing um, leading us to talk about this psalm, a heavy psalm, a psalm with no humor or jokes. But it's real and it's honest, and we need it, Lord. Jesus, we remember your mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord God was upon you to bring good news to the poor that you were sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to give a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, to exchange the oil of gladness instead of mourning, to give a garment of praise instead of a heavy spirit, that your kids may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that ultimately you, God, would be glorified. Thank you, Jesus, that you build up ruins, that you raise up former devastations, that you repair the ruined cities and the devastations for many generations. Jesus, we, we call to mind Isaiah 42. A bruised reed you will not break. And a faintly burning wick you will not quench. You will faithfully bring forth justice. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. That's our prayer for our culture and our government. For every man, woman, and child that is intimately or even distantly involved in the things we're watching from afar. But for those who feel bruised and battered, God, let them meet your gentle hand that will not break them. But for those who feel like the wick is about to burn out, Lord, let them find you as an ever-present help right beside them who will not quench the fire. Jesus, you are the only one who can faithfully bring forth justice. So we look to you for justice. We look to you for truth. We look to you for guidance and wisdom. Give us your vision. Help us to see things as you see them, not as man sees them, not as woman sees them, but as you see them.